Sprite Castle. Sprite Castle. Sprite Castle. With Robo Hair. Sprite Castle. Hello and welcome to Sprite Castle, the show in which I play, discuss, and review Commodore 64 games. My name is Rob Flack O'Hara, and on this episode of Sprite Castle, I will be discussing Karatika. Do you know what rotoscoping is? You will by the end of this episode. But before I get started talking about this episode's game, let's check the Daily Sun for this week's Paperboy headlines. Welcome back to another episode of Sprite Castle. I have several YouTube videos that went up over the past couple of weeks since the last episode. We have Sprite Castle Plays Karatika, which is the game that I'm talking about on this episode. I uploaded a Sprite Castle Plays Donkey Kong Jr., which is a game I reviewed several years ago on Sprite Castle. Donkey Kong Jr. was released in 2014 and I believe is one of the most beautiful arcade ports ever released on the Commodore 64. So if you're a fan of the Donkey Kong franchise or Donkey Kong Jr. specifically, you probably want to check out that video. I also did a non-Commodore 64 video in which I played 10-Yard Fight. I actually recorded that video Thanksgiving evening after watching two football games. I was in an American football mood, I should say, American football. I know I have a lot of fans that are in the UK. And on Thanksgiving after... Traditionally, after eating a big Thanksgiving meal, they show multiple football games on television, and I was in the mood, so I played 10-Yard Fight, which is an old arcade game, uh, coin-op football game, which is arcadey. It's not traditional football. It's pretty simplistic, and it's actually kind of difficult once you get up a few levels, but it's always been a favorite of mine, so I did that. Uh, all those videos are available on youtube.com forward slash Amigos Retro Gaming, or you can just go to YouTube and search for Sprite Castle Plays. And as a reminder, if you want to interact with me live while I'm recording those, you can sign up to Twitch and follow my channel, which is at twitch.tv forward slash Rob O'Hara. I checked last night. It looks like I have 36 followers, and Twitch keeps reminding me that wonderful things will start happening for me when I reach 50 followers. So I am trying to get 14 more followers on Twitch. I'm not sure what that wonderful thing is, but I'm told by Twitch that it's very wonderful. <laughs> it's like holding a carrot out in front of a donkey, except for the donkey doesn't know what's on uh, the end of the, the string. In other news, my VC64 arrived. Now, if you've been following the past several episodes of Sprite Castle, you know that I pre-ordered a VC64, the NT, I want to say the NTSC release, but I think all of them support NTSC or PAL, but I would say the North American release, the pre-order went live in August on Amazon. I paid for my pre-order and it was supposed to ship in November. It was delayed. It was delayed again. I mentioned on the last episode, it was delayed to the point where I wasn't going to renew my purchase. Uh, every time it gets delayed, Amazon sent me another email that said, do you want to, are you sure you want to stick with this? And I wasn't sure at that point. I've, I've talked about how I have so many different methods of playing Commodore 64 games. And to be honest with you, I think the C64, while it's somewhat convenient is probably not the best way, but 
before I got a chance to uh, for the offer to expire, the C64 shipped. It arrived a couple of days ago. I have unboxed it and looked at it. I have not plugged it in. So I plan to spend the next week to two weeks messing around with it, playing it. And so I think the next episode of Sprite Castle will be an in-depth review of the C64. And I know other people have done that on uh, YouTube and and um, some other podcasts and stuff. So I don't know how much new information I'll have to add, but I'll definitely uh, talk about the games that are built into it. I'll be talking about, you know, getting it to play my own games. I have the mini 64 and it was okay. So I'm, I'm looking forward to this. I did, you know, mash on the keys a little bit and I do kind of like the feel. So anyway, I'm looking forward to spending a little time with the C64 over the next week or two. I did find a couple of videos uh, this week. One in particular was from Breadbox, which showed up on YouTube. And it was a it was a video, but it was almost like a, a slideshow on YouTube, which is okay. But it was a slideshow of Commodore computers that have appeared in movies. And it wasn't just the Commodore 64. There were screens of Commodore Pets and Commodore 64s, 128s, and Amigas, and uh, I think even a plus four in some of the movie clips that they showed. So I will add that link to the show notes, and you could go check that out. It's always fun to see Commodore computers in the background of movies. I also saw the ProtoPad being um, crowdfunded. This is a new joystick. Actually, I say joystick. It is a game pad. I want to make sure that's specific. From ProtoVision, and it supports up to eight buttons. Uh, one of the buttons is already mapped to the fire button, of course, and the second button is mapped to up. So for all those games, Commodore 64 games where you have to press up, if you buy this pad, you'll be able to press a button and now jump. Uh, the other buttons are programmable. Some games will take advantage of them. There's a, a whole bunch of information about it over on ProtoVision's website. So I will add that link. I think you can still sign up for the crowdfunding. And uh, I don't know. It looks pretty good. I'm I'm a old school. You know, I grew up playing the Commodore 64 with first Atari joysticks and then Craft joysticks and finally the Epix joysticks. So playing Commodore games has never quite felt right to me on a gamepad, but I've been using a gamepad for so long. In fact, on my PC, most of the gaming I used to do was with a uh, knockoff Super Nintendo gamepad that was USB. So I used to play a lot of games with that. So I definitely have experience with using gamepads. It just doesn't quite feel right with Commodore stuff. So I don't know. I don't know if I'm in on this or not, but it does look beautiful. So if you do like game pads, then uh, you definitely want to check that out. There's also a link to itch.io. This has been a link from Badger Punch. Uh, Badger Punch Games has released a itch.io bundle. It is $5 for 15 Commodore 64 games that are Christmas themed. It's called the C64 Xmas Bundle. Uh, some of the games in there include Space Orbs, um, Santron is in there, uh, Vegetables Deluxe, Snowdown is in there, uh, Grand Picks Advert. I mean, there are, or Advent, I should say, there are um, a lot of great Christmas-themed games in there. And, you know, I mean, when I was a kid, 
I've talked about this. I've talked about this in my in Commodore. I've talked about this on the podcast that uh, when I was a kid, I mean, I didn't think twice about downloading games. Not only it wasn't that I wasn't aware of piracy and its effect on the industry. I didn't care. <laughs> I was a kid and I had a modem. I would just download games and it was great. Um, but now that I'm older, I do care. Um, if you don't pay for games that are being developed, then people won't develop games. Some people will, but you know, there's a lot of people that put a lot of time and effort and money into games. And, and so, you know, I talked about, there was a, um, uh, a specific shoot 'em up that was released last month. It is available for purchase, but I think for us, it's a collector's edition, and it's $75 for one game. That's an investment. I mean, it is a great-looking game, but $75 is a lot of money for one game. I mean, really, you know, I guess technically it's not that much money if you compare it to uh, modern, you know, PS4, PS5, or modern Xbox games or stuff. I mean, it's not it's not the price of two games. <laughs> so, But for a Commodore 64 game, $75 is a lot of money. This is... 15 game and I have no skin in this game. I don't get anything if you buy this, but for me it was a, a no-brainer purchase. It's 15 games for $5, uh which makes each game cost 33 cents. So when they bundle these things together, uh it it just makes so much more sense and I can click that. I got 15 downloads and I've just started going through and in fact, I think I'll play some of those games on DC64 when I get that hooked up this week. So speaking of bundles, this is a bundle that I do have skin in the game. So I want to preface this. I mean, it, it's news, but it's definitely something that uh, uh, I'm involved in. So uh, I like to be as transparent as possible. But I was contacted by storybundle.com. If you're not familiar with Story Bundle, they are a website that puts together themed collections of ebooks. And then you could go online and purchase uh, these collections. And I was asked if I wanted to contribute Commodore and the sequel Commodorkier to this month's bundle, which I agreed to. So this month's story bundle, the theme is the greatest hits game bundle. It, this is an amazing bundle. And I'm just going to tell you up front again. I mean, it is something that's for sale and it is something that has my book. So, uh, you know, it does make my review sound biased, and I'm, but I am giving you an honest my honest opinion. You get ninety five ebooks for thirty dollars. I'm not going to turn this into a huge plug, but I will say this: number one, all the books are DRM free, so I believe you get them in EPUB or PDF. So you can put them on your tablet, put them on your phone, read them on your computer, however you want to read ebooks. I mean, once you download them, you get them, and uh, you can read them however you want. I just started scrolling through last night. I still have the link open. Just looking through some of the books that are in the bundle. Uh, and these are just some of the titles. Sega Arcade Classics. Somebody Set Us Up the ROM, which is funny. Um, gosh, I'm just literally real-time scrolling through here. Video War. Trigger Happy. Here's one called Dungeons and Desktops which sounds good. Here's Braving Britannia, which I'm assuming has something to do with Ultima. Here's Designers and Dragons, and it says 1970s, 80s, 90s, and 2000s. 
Um, there's a whole series of books. Let me get down here. From uh, They're called Boss Fight Books, and they focus on a single game. There's one for Super Mario Brothers 2. There's one for Chrono Trigger. Um, there's a book here for Earthbound, one for Galaga. So there's all kinds of books in here as I keep streaming through. The History of Digital Games, that looks interesting. Uh, guide to Konami Shooters, Guide to Taito Arcade Classics. All right. So, I mean, you get the idea. There is something, there's a lot of books about arcade games. There's a lot of books about home console video games. And there's several books in here about um, retro computers and retro computing games. So if you like reading, you know what? Here's another uh, series of books that are in here, and they are called uh, video games you will never play. And there are different ones. There's one for the PC. There's one for Nintendo 64, Sega Saturn. There's one for PS2 and Xbox, one for Wii, PS3, and Xbox 360. Um, there seem to be a lot of books in here, as I'm reading through here, that are dedicated to dun- either Dungeons & Dragons or Dungeon Crawlers type things. So anyway, that is, I, I honestly didn't mean to talk about it that much, but as you scroll through here, um, here's one called Bottomless Pit, which just has a picture of Pitfall <laughs> on the front. Um, I, I do have to say that I get a free copy of uh, the bundle because I added my games or my books to it, but uh, I would have bought this anyway. Um, I love the idea. I have a uh, Android tablet that I use as a dedicated ebook reader. And so I get EPUB books or PDFs or whatever I want to read. I copy it to that. And I literally have it stuck in airplane mode. I don't even connect it to the internet or updates. I put my books on a SD card and I put it in the side and I use it for that. So uh, it is, um, again, this is, uh, if you go to storybundle.com forward slash games, you can see the bundle. Um, so if if you're looking for a 95, for me, 95 books, and I'm, I'm going to say there's probably some in here I would, I would not read. Um, I mean, just to be honest, like there are some that are, uh, you know, retro indie or something, indie games and, uh, just a couple different, uh, you know, some in here that don't look stellar, I would say. Um, that's not to say that, uh, there's a lot of fluff, but I don't know. There's just some that don't don't click, but even the ones that do click, I figure this is like two years worth of games for 30 bucks. Uh, so, um, yeah, I think it's definitely a good deal. So if you're looking for some DRM free eBooks, and if you don't have copies of Commodore and Commodore that's two of the 95 books that you will get in the bundle for $30. So anyway, that is uh, story bundles. Uh, let's see, what else do we have here in the news? Oh, uh, I have decided to have a secret Christmas giveaway. I don't want to tell you what the giveaway is. But if you go to the following URL, you can find out everything about uh, what I'm going to be giving away and uh, all the details. That URL is robohara.com forward slash Christopher Warren, forward slash Carrie Clanton, forward slash Zeep Pabsky, forward slash Alan Hudgens, forward slash Mitsuyama, forward slash Ant Page, forward slash Steve Sharippa, forward slash Mr. Bundy, forward slash Paul Davies, forward slash Stephen Burt, forward slash Mike McLaughlin, 
forward slash Gary Heather, forward slash Darren Folds, forward slash Trod Rydar Bow. That's going to be tricky to get that one. Forward slash Armaden Restel, forward slash Olaf Hope, forward slash David Hearn, forward slash John Schaller, forward slash Eric Stryanisi, forward slash Matt Nicholson, forward slash Dave Zilly, forward slash Steve Rasmussen, forward slash Patrick Markey, forward slash Chris Folds, forward slash Garrett Allier, forward slash Graham Vebke. I think I got that right this time. Forward slash Rick Reynolds, forward slash Scott Lambert, forward slash John Morrison, forward slash Mark Alley, forward slash Jake Nonamaker, forward slash Cobra Kai, forward slash Roy Jacobs. Unfortunately, I'm not really having a giveaway. By the time you read this, I am going to try to create that URL. <laughs> so that'll be interesting. But uh, that is not uh, where I am hosting a giveaway. Those are all my Patreon supporters. So I want to thank everybody who supports the podcast. I think Roy Jacobs is a new supporter this week. So welcome to Roy. I think there was one new uh, new supporter. Um, I think uh, Christopher Warren is a new supporter. So welcome to uh, and Carrie Clanton is new since uh, the last time that I did an episode. So thank you to all the new supporters. Thank all you guys for signing up to Patreon. There's all kinds of new stuff. And in fact, I have changed one of my re- uh, reward tiers. I took the Rando Rob, which is a video I do every Sunday about something in my room. So if you like listening to me talk, like tell old stories and talk about things I own and and the history of these things, they're usually video game or computer or collectible or something like that. I do a rough 15 to 30 minute video every Sunday. And I was only sharing those with my highest tier Patreon, but I've opened those up to everybody. So now everybody gets that as well. It's another reward. So if you want to see all the rewards that are on the Patreon, go to patreon.com forward slash Rob O'Hara to find out more. If you'd like to send me feedback about this episode or any episode of Sprite Castle, you can email me at Rob O'Hara at RobOHara.com. Contact me on Twitter at Commodore. Follow the show on Facebook at Facebook.com forward slash RobCasts. Catch me hanging out on the Amigos Retro Gaming Discord server or leave me a voicemail on the FLAC podcast hotline, which is 405-486-YDKF. As always, if you want to help the show out, you can share links to the show on social media, and you can like and review the show on iTunes. And those are this week's headlines, brought to you by my local paper boy, who just delivered this week's paper directly through my front window. You're fired! Now that we've covered this week's headlines, let's talk about this week's snack. Crack, crack, crack the egg into the bowl. Crack, crack, crack the egg into the bowl. Talking snack. Well, you know, in Karataka, there is no food to eat. It's not like a lot of classic beat 'em up arcade games where you would punch a barrel and find food laying around that you could eat to restore your health. There's nothing like that in Karataka. But as you play further into the game, you will get attacked by a bird. <laughs> and I thought it was a little morbid to think about eating that bird, but what it reminded me of. It's what I've eaten almost every day for the past week, and that is turkey sandwiches. Now, when I was a kid, my mom would make a giant turkey every year. I mean, a huge turkey. 
and we would at Thanksgiving we would have you know a little bit of turkey on our plate. But the real takeaway from that was turkey sandwiches. I used to make ramen noodles and cut up little bits of turkey and put it in there, which oh, it tasted so good. But I love turkey leftovers. I am definitely the guy that will walk by the refrigerator, open up the little Ziploc bag, just grab a little chunk of white meat and walk around the house <laughs> eating turkey. I love leftover turkey. It could be cold. It could be warmed up. Does not matter to me. But literally 10 minutes before hitting record on this episode, I sat down and had a turkey sandwich. Now, today is December 5th. Thanksgiving was, I got to check my calendar here. <laughs> I mean, it was last month. It was uh, November 26th. So the leftovers have been in there for nine days right now. I don't know. The clock is ticking. I don't know how much longer the turkey will be good or how much there will be any left. I mean, we're down to one or two sandwiches left. I'm hoping tomorrow morning. I can make some scrambled eggs and cut up a little bit of turkey and toss it in there, and that may finish off what's left in there. But literally 10 minutes before starting this episode, I went and made a turkey sandwich, and I'm eating the leftover turkey right now, <laughs> right here in the microphone. Uh, my favorite turkey sandwich, and this is exactly what I made, two slices of bread. I'm going to have to take a drink. That The turkey's getting a little dry at this point. It's the problem. Uh, I like Miracle Whip. I put Miracle Whip on the uh, sandwich and then a slice of cheese. If there's some left, I'll put a little bit of cold stuffing. I love leftover stuffing. Again, doesn't have to be warmed up. I'll just take a little bit of cold stuffing that's left over, put that on a sandwich, and then whatever meat is left. I, there's not much white meat left. It's a lot of dark meat at this point, but I'll put it on there, and man... I would never, you know, when I was a kid, I used to ask my mom, how come we don't do this every month? Why don't we bake a turkey every month and just eat on turkey leftovers for the <laughs> entire month? And I would love to do that. I just never get tired of turkey sandwiches. I'm sure I probably would at some point, but uh, that's literally what I ate right before reviewing this episode. So uh, I know in the game Karataka, it is not a turkey. I believe it's either a a hawk or a falcon, I'm not sure. It's not a turkey, but um, in Karataka, uh, you have to deal with a lot of different things. You have to deal with guards. You have to deal with attacking birds. It's a crazy game. So let's get started talking about Karataka. Karataka was published for the Commodore 64 in 1985 by Broderbund. It is a game for one player that uses joystick or keyboard controls. Now, right off the bat, I want to get this out of the way. I have been pronouncing the name of this company as Broderbund my entire life. From the time that I saw Broderbund associated with Choplifter and Load Runner, that's how we always said Broderbund. Now, I've heard some other podcasts. I did some podcast research over the past couple of weeks, and I heard a lot of people saying Broderbund instead of Broderbund. Now, the, the confusion comes of the fact that the O has an umlaut over it. And in America, we have no idea what to do with that. <laughs> and in fact, we've been trained to do the wrong thing with it. If you look at Motley Crue, who has the umlauts over the vowels, they just drew them on there. That doesn't affect the pronunciation at all. Um, so, you know, some people say Broderbund. I've always said Broderbund. And I looked up a YouTube 
interview with one of the founders of the company, and he pronounced it Bruderbund. But he doesn't say it long like I said Bruder. He said Bruder, like Bruderbund, um, almost with the emphasis being on Bund, like Bruderbund. Bruderbund. So I can just tell you right now, I know that I'm doing a disservice to the word and that I'm not going to say it right. And I will say Broderbund, unfortunately, for the rest of my life. So uh, if you're going to write in and say that I'm saying it wrong, I'm already agreeing with you. Uh, this is Broderbund's second appearance on the show. On episode 44, I talked about Load Runner. I have not covered uh, Choplifter on the show. I know that they did. Uh, Where in the world is Carmen San Diego? They have a, a long list of hits that they released over the years, um, but I covered that on episode 44. So if you want to hear more about the history of the company, check out episode 44, Sprite Castle, which was Load Runner. Now, speaking of pronunciations, everybody I know has pronounced the name of this game as Karatika. Um, I mean, that's the way it looks. That's the most logical pronunciation. But I did find an interview with Jordan Metner online on YouTube in which he pronounces the game as Karateka. I don't know if I'm allowed to tell a guy who created a word that he's saying it wrong. <laughs> that seems a little presumptuous to tell the guy who came up with the word karateka that it is not possibly pronounced karateka. Uh, so everybody in the world, I think, except for Jordan Mechner, and I think now he does the same thing, says karateka. But in the early days, he did say karateka, but I think he has also changed his pronunciation. So just to clarify before we get started, I will be saying Broderbund. And I will be calling this game Karatika, which is the correct pronunciation. I hate to tell the guy that wrote the game, <laughs> but that's how you say it. Jordan Mechner, who I just referenced, was attending Yale University when he began coding games. He submitted several games to uh, Broderbund to try to get published. One was called Asteroid Blaster, which was a Asteroids clone. And another one was called Death Bounce, which was also a asteroid-style clone, but both of those games were rejected. So he went back to the well and started programming. He has mentioned at the time that he was taking karate lessons, and so he came up with this idea to make a karate-style game, and he spent the next two years making Karateka. Now, after Karateka was sold to Broderbun and took off and was a hit, he went back and he spent the next three years working on his next game, which was Prince of Persia, which was released five years after Karateka. The original Karateka was released for the Apple II in 1984. Prince of Persia was released in 1989. Now, if you have more interest in Jordan Mechner and his game development, he has self-published two journals. Uh, they, these are volumes of his game development journals that he put together in the 1980s. And one are all the journals that he kept about making Karateka. The other one is all the journals that he wrote on uh, during his time working on Prince of Persia. Uh, another fact that I found on Wikipedia was that Jordan Mechner found the source code of Prince of Persia and shared it online. He found it on some old three and a half inch floppy disks, found the source code and shared it and said, here you go. So I always thought that was pretty cool. Uh, the Jordan Mechner books are called the making of Karateka. 
Journals 1982 to 1985, and The Making of Prince of Persia, Journals 1985 to 1993. Another interesting fact about this game, if you read the credits, is that the Atari and Commodore 64 version have additional music, which was done by Francis Mechner, which is Jordan's father, and he used Broderbund's The Music Shop to generate that music. So there's a lot of great music in this version of Karataka that does not appear in the Apple II version. Karataka is a side-scrolling fighting game in which one player must fight a series of guards to rescue his girlfriend, Princess Mariko, from the evil Akuma's palace. I don't know if there's a tie-in here. I think any time that I think early to mid-karate game, I always think of uh, Bruce Lee. I think of ninja movies. 1984 is the same year The Karate Kid came out. So there's all that connection. There was a lot of karate movies in pop culture. And so I always think maybe, you know, games like this were influenced by that. The box of Karataka is absolutely gorgeous. We have the word Karataka in a karate style font, I would say, a stylized font uh, that appears across the top of the box. And then we have this wonderful mural. And I was not able to find who painted this picture, but I would love to find out who created this. Uh, we have Akuma, which is the bad guy in the top left, and we have his fortress in the top right, and then we have your player kicking a guard in the bottom left, and then on the bottom right, there's a kind of a headshot front view of your guy in a karate stand. So it really shows you everything that you're about to see in the game, and it's kind of that uh, airbrush, it's not airbrush, but like paint, uh, a realistic style oil painting, and it's a mural. It's just really, really cool to look at. So when you pick it up and you see that, I mean, that right off the bat would make you want to play uh, this game. I think it's interesting that your character has no name. Of course, we have um, the Princess Mariko, who we're trying to save. We have the evil Akuma, who is hiding away in his palace, and we have all these guards, but our character that we play doesn't have a name. And so I think that was an interesting decision because then we become their character. So we're not playing Bill, the Karataka master. We are the Karataka master. So on the back of the box, there is a bullet list of uh, features in this game. And it says suspenseful movie like story, which is true. Smoothly animated characters. Also true. Scrolling backgrounds. Yep. And realistic karate fighting. And I would say mostly, <laughs> mostly true on that last one. So those are the bullet points that are listed. And then there is a backstory that is given the story of Karataka, which is that you have returned to your home after years of karate training. You've discovered that your village has been burned to the ground and your bride to be the princess Mariko has been kidnapped from a, uh, by Akuma. 
He's an evil warlord, and he has hidden her away inside his mountain fortress. So when the game begins, we get this opening scroll. You know, you load the game. Uh, the scroll starts. It's very cinematic, and I will probably use that word more times uh, than I should during this podcast. But that over and over, this is like a movie that we are participating in. You know, a lot of people talk about Defender of the Crown and some of the cinemaware movies as being cinema-like. But this game is one where the parts, the cutscenes, and the parts that you're playing look identical. So it's not like there are these high-res graphics that show up as a still in between the gameplay. The part that unfolds like a movie is running in the game's engine. So it looks exactly like the part of the game that you're actually playing. So... Now, a lot of times I talk about the title screen when the game boots up and after it's it's begun, you know, you go to a title screen where you set your options and choose your controls and things like that. But this game, part of the 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 way that it gets that cinematic feel is that there is no title screen. It goes directly from the opening scroll to a self-running demo, which will then be interrupted if you press a key, you'll start the game. Now, the self-running demo is very interesting because this is something that Broderbund wanted to put into their games. And the reason why is because when they started trying to distribute their games, they would go to computer stores and computers would be turned on and just sitting at a prompt. Like you would walk over to a computer and it would just be a flashing cursor and there was nothing on there. So they had this business idea that if they put self-running demos in their games, then someone would load the game. And of course, now you're trying to sell a computer because it would be showing, you know, Choplifter or Load Runner or, or, um, Karatika. It's a great looking game, but also, you know, you're kind of selling their game as well. So it was kind of a win win thing. So Karatika is, uh, yet another game from Broderbund where when you load it up, it eventually just starts kind of going through the game and you can watch the people fight and stuff. But if you press a button, it immediately starts the game. So let's talk about the controls as we control uh, our karate punching man as we have to work our way to uh, to and through Akuma's palace. Now, I've said on this podcast more than once that the Apple II, uh, and I'm not talking bad about the Apple II, but obviously if you put these games, actually this game is a bad example because this the version on the Commodore 64 looks very similar to the version on the Apple II. In fact, I feel like it was probably a direct port to a fault at the point where additional colors and things that the Commodore 64 could have added were not taken advantage of. But the one thing, of course, on a lot of these games that the Apple wins out over the Commodore 64 is that the Apple joystick has two buttons. And so for a karate fighting game, that gave you one button for punching and one button for kicking. The Commodore 64 joystick, uh, which is a traditional DB9 Atari-style joystick, only has one button. And so to get around that, if you quickly press the button, you will throw a punch. If you hold down the button, a long hold, that is for a kick. 
really what it ends up with is that you end up just throwing more kicks than punches. You have to almost intentionally tap the joystick if you're wanting to throw punches. And there are cases where punches are more advantageous. But for the most part, if you're just mashing that button over and over in these fights, you'll probably just end up throwing kicks the entire time. Now, each of these different attacks, punches and kicks, can be high, middle, or low. It's a little confusing if you haven't read the instructions or played a few times, but a high kick is button and up. A down kick is button and low, but a middle kick is just button. It's not button and right. Uh, and if you do button and right, your Karataka player will just start moving to the right and you'll probably walk into a punch and get punched in the face. So um, now if you're playing with the keyboard, which you can do, I don't recommend it, uh, but the keyboard... The punches are Q, A, and Z for high, middle, low. And then the buttons right next to that uh, are W, S, and X for kicks, high, middle, low. On the keyboard, you use the left and right keys, uh, uh, bracket keys, I think, for moving left and right. But you have two different stances in this game. You have your normal fighting stance, and then you have your upright stance, which you have to do to run in the game. And so you hit space bar to toggle between those two stances. If you're in the wrong stance at the wrong time, your game can be over real quick. I'll be talking about that shortly. So it's a little, um, you have to be able to hit that space bar quick and toggle between the two. Also the B button bows and you can bow to your opponent and your opponent will bow to you has no effect on the game whatsoever. And it's odd that they would spend the, the code to build that in when there's no reward for doing it, but you can do that. You could do that uh, with the joystick when you're standing upright. You could just press the button and your character will bow. Uh, there are a few additional controls on the Commodore 64 keyboard. If you hit run stop, that will pause the game. You can also hit J or K and toggle between joystick and keyboard controls. I was trying to see if I could turn music on or off. I hit F1. F1 immediately restarts your game. <laughs> so don't accidentally hit F1. I'll just throw that out. So the gameplay of Karataka is pretty simple. The game opens with the, I don't even know what to call him, the player, the character, Mr. Karataka, uh, climbing up a cliff and arriving on, it's called, referred to sometimes as the beach, but it's the area that's outside of Akuna's palace. The whole point of this game is to move from left to right, and you're going to work your way through multiple opponents until you finally reach, uh, you enter Akuna's castle, you'll fight more opponents. Eventually, you will fight Akuna's falcon, then you will fight Akuna, and then you will rescue the princess, hopefully. So in the beginning of the game, you will instantly find your first opponent. Underneath your character are a series of arrows, uh, and under the, your other opponent, there are other arrows that are pointing the other way. So his are blue, yours are red, and those are your hit points. So as you play the game, each time you land an attack, a punch or a kick on your opponent, it will take away one of their hit points. Each time they hit you, you will lose a hit point until one of you reaches zero and dies. 
you will regenerate hit points over time. So there is no healing potion. There is no food, nothing like that to replenish your energy. But the longer you play, your hit points will just uh, build up when you're, uh, you know, just over time. Now, the goal of this game is to get, like I said, to the palace and then through the palace. So you're trying to move as quickly on each level as possible. So after you have killed your first opponent, you want to stand up, uh, get out of, go from your uh, fighting stance to a, you know, prone, uh, uh, you know, standing straight up. And then once you're standing straight up, if you hold uh, diagonal right, I believe on the joystick, uh, you will just begin running. And so you will run and then you'll see Akuna. He dispatches another guard and it'll do a, a flip over to that scene. It'll come back to you. You're still running. It'll flip back to the enemy. He's running towards you. Eventually you and the enemy will come face to face. At that point, you immediately need to get out of the running stance and get back to the fighting stance. If the opponent hits you while you are in your running stance, you will instantly die. It doesn't matter how many hit points you have. It doesn't matter anything else. One punch while you're running and you will instantly die. Now you might say, well, why wouldn't you just stay in the fighting stance and go through the whole first level that way? Well, you certainly can, but you cover so much more ground when you're running and enemies come out every time that you defeat another enemy. So uh, by running, you can beat the first level after I think four or maybe five opponents. But if you do the slow walk, it's going to be at least 10 because you're moving so slow and more opponents are coming out one at a time. Every time you kill an opponent, another opponent comes out. So um, the easiest way to beat the game is to run in between opponents. But just a caveat, it does leave you uh, in a helpless situation. Um, there are three levels to the game. The first one takes place outside the palace. And you can see Mount Fuji in the background. And then there is a parallax scrolling, but it's an illusion a little bit because the mountain never moves. But then you'll see kind of a gate or fence behind you, and it does scroll. So it's an interesting effect. And they have really done a good job. Occasionally you pass underneath pagodas and things like that. They've done a good job of creating this illusion of side scrolling when there aren't really that many pieces moving. If you really take a look at the graphics that are moving, uh, there's not that much that scrolls by. And when there are things like the pagoda on the screen, it slows down the action even more. That's something else I'll be addressing. Uh, once you reach the end of the first level, you will enter the palace. The whole second level is takes place inside the palace. And at the end of that level, you will come to a portcullis, which I can never say right, but it is a gate that is up. If you walk under the gate, it will come down and kill you instantly. <laughs> this game has a lot of instant deaths that are very frustrating. Now, if you know about them, they're easy to, to circumvent. At the end of the second level, what you need to do is get right before you trigger the gate from falling and then throw a punch or a kick and that will trigger the gate, but it won't get you because you just stuck your foot under there. And while it's raising back up, you can run under the gate and you will start level three. This is very similar to some of the traps that we saw later in Mechner's second game, 
uh, Prince of Persia. Anybody who's played that will recognize the same action in this game. The third level is the bottom layer, I guess, of the palace. It doesn't. It looks a lot like the second. <laughs> palace layer um, but there are a set of steps that you appear to have come down for the third layer um, for the third level and so as you work your way through that level you'll eventually reach a series of rooms so in each opponent there's a room or uh, other way around <laughs> in each room there's an opponent uh, you'll fight that opponent and then you have to go to the end of the room and kick the door and then go into the next room and you'll go through those and then uh now, during the second and third levels, you'll be facing all these the same opponents. They look different because they have different helmets on and headdresses on. But you'll start also fighting Akuma's Falcon, who he will just sick on you. And the Falcon shows up from the right-hand side of the screen, and he will be at one of the three levels, high, middle, or low. And so you will need to time either a punch or a kick to kick the Falcon. Now in the early, you know, as you encounter him on the second level, one kick is enough to send him away, but he will keep returning if you don't eventually kick him. And every time, if you miss him, he will take two hit points away. He will claw your head a couple of times or beak you or whatever he's doing and fly off at the, towards the end of the last level of the third level, you will actually have to face the Falcon as an opponent. He has, I believe five hit points. This game plays very sluggishly on the Commodore 64. It's a great-looking game, but it's slow, and there is delay to your attacks. So you will need to learn exactly when you need to start kicking when the Falcon is coming, which is about somewhere between a third and halfway across the screen. And if you miss it by one frame too early or too late, there's really no recovery the Falcon will hit you twice and then he'll go back and then he'll come for another attack. So this goes on until you successfully hit him five different attacks, which at which point the Falcon just explodes, <laughs> which is always a shocking thing. You do a kick and it just, you know, poofs into a pile of feathers in midair, uh, which is a little strange. Now, the fighting in Karataka is unfortunately very pattern based and very easy and the game really stresses the the point that enemies will become harder as you go along, but it's really difficult to see any difference in any of the enemies. Some are more aggressive than others, which makes it a little difficult to beat some of them because they just stand there and you have to make the first move. Um, but, I mean, really, I just see it as opponents and then the Falcon and then eventually Akuma. Uh, when you're standing, both you and your opponent are in your fighting stance. Uh you will be, there's a space, there can be um, a space between your feet. And at that space, nobody can hit either either character. You won't connect. But if you scoot forward just at the tiniest tad, you'll be standing toe-to-toe. -to -toe. And at that point, you can land kicks, but not punches. So you can throw three attacks at a time. So if you just hold your button down, you will do three mid-level kicks. One, two, three. And mid-level kicks... Uh, will connect also when your opponent is trying to kick high uh, or low. So that's a really good kick to use, uh, which involve, doesn't involve holding up or down on the joystick. It's literally just holding down the button. 
Uh, if you get closer than that, sometimes your kicks won't land, and that's when you'll need to switch to punches. So I have on occasion just started walking into my opponent throwing punches over and over and over and you could beat most of the opponents that way but normally what i do is try to stand in that little leave that little gap between our toes and when the opponent scoots forward hold down the button and throw three kicks to the midsection and literally if you do that one move it's kind of like learning the reverse elbow move in double dragon if you learn this one move you can beat this entire game it'll get you to the falcon the Falcon, you'll have to figure out what the timing is, um, but you can also beat Akuma using the same technique. So the, there's not a lot of depth in the actual fighting. So when the game says, you know, actual karate fighting, that one seems like it might be a little questionable to me. The game essentially uses four colors. We have white and black. We have orange for skin tones, and we have blue for some skin tones and some highlights on your opponents. But that's pretty much it. Now, what's curious is these are the exact four colors that are used on the Apple II version. And if you've played a lot of Apple II games, you know there are a lot of games that use that color palette, black and white and orange and blue. So it's a little curious that the Commodore 64 version uses those exact same four colors instead of using its 16 color palette, which I believe this game probably, well, I know that it was uh, coded, you know, basically directly for the 6502. And so I think someone probably did just a very literal translation between the two versions and didn't take any time to increase the, the graphics. And unfortunately the Commodore version suffers because of this. It plays slow because it's not taking advantage of uh, the advantages of the Commodore 64. Now, again, one thing where it has been improved is the Commodore 64's music. And in the original uh, Apple II version, it's all the music is just one note at a time, and it's it's really been improved on the Commodore 64 version. The little songs and and um, the music interludes that play they they just sound so much better. Running, as I mentioned before, is a problem in this game. Now, to beat this game the most efficient way possible, you have to run in between enemies. But because the game is so sluggish, when you stop holding the joystick to run, you're still going to keep running for a while. So you kind of have to time, <laughs> you know, guess at what point do you let go of the joystick to stop running. If you run into an enemy, as I mentioned before, that is instant death. They will punch you and you will fall into a pile and it will say the end. If you are running, which I did on my stream, uh, happen to be running when the bird shows up. Now there is a, a sound cue that plays like an enemy is approaching and you really have to listen for that on the uh, second level because uh, when you hear that, that means the bird is about to show up and you need to get out of your running stance because if you're running and the falcon runs into you, guess what? Instant death, the end. Again, I mentioned the end of level two where the portcullis is. Uh, if you go try to just walk underneath that, instant death. And then as we get to the spoiler about the ending, there are two endings to this game. After you beat every opponent that you've faced, after you've beat the Falcon, and after you've beaten Akuma himself, you enter the final room of the game where the princess has been stashed away and she turns and she is standing there waiting for you. Uh, 
If you approach the princess in a fighting stance, she will kick you and kill you, and that's the end of the game. The end. What you have to do is stand into your running position and run into her with open arms. Now, in one way, this makes sense. Um, You know, why would you approach your girlfriend, the princess, in a fighting stance? It makes sense that you would run over to her. So I get that. There are two problems, though. Number one is the entire game which you can beat this whole game in about 15 minutes. The entire game has trained you that anytime you're running into something, that is instant death. The falcon kills you. The opponents kill you. The gate kills you. Anything that hits you while you're running is instant death. So it has trained you for 15 minutes or however long you've played this game that running into someone is a bad thing. So it is not intuitive that you would run into her arms. You almost feel like the opposite would happen, that if you run into her, she will kill you. But if you approach her slowly, she wouldn't. But it's the opposite. So it's really not fair. I understand why they did it. And from a story, you know, and it, and it's that little fun, I guess you would say fun surprise. I don't know how much fun it is to spend 20 minutes playing a game and get killed at the last second when you're trying to rescue someone. Um but uh, So that's the first thing that uh, is frustrating about it. The second thing that's frustrating about it is that this princess kills you with a, one shot, which means she's a very powerful warrior, which makes it confusing of how she got kidnapped in the first place. When these guards send her into the thing, why isn't she just one kicking everybody and getting out on her own? But, you know, this is a fairy tale. It's a rescue story. It's the the guy that has showed up to rescue the the helpless princess. So it doesn't play into the narrative that they're trying to create with the game. And I understand that, but um, it the whole game presents her as a helpless kidnapping victim. And then at the end, if she's able to kill the Karataka master with one kick, it seems like she might not have been as helpless as we were led on to believe. Now, when you run into Princess Mariko's arms, the whole scene looks very realistic. And in fact, most of the action in this game feels very realistic. The running animation, uh, the fighting animation, even when the guy crawls up from the edge of the cliff uh, and pulls his body weight up, it feels very fluid and like how human beings move. And that's because it is. When uh, Jordan Mechner started working on this game, he used a eight millimeter camera to film himself in his own backyard, running around, jumping on things. Uh, and then he took that footage. Well, I'm getting ahead of myself. Uh, he didn't like how some of that turned out. And I told you that he was taking karate lessons. So he had his karate master come over and stand in a fighting stance and throw kicks. Um, he set up a thing in his backyard where he would climb and pull himself up just like the karate a master does at the beginning of Karataka, all these things. And then he took that footage and traced over it to create the animation cells that are used in Karataka. And that is called rotoscoping. Now, this is a technique that was not new. Disney was doing this for a long time in a lot of their cartoons. You know, they would film live action characters like in Snow White and Sleeping Beauty and 
and uh, these movies, Alice in Wonderland, and then they would draw over them, you know, with the art so that the, the motions were very fluid of the human beings. And so this is not new, but this was kind of new for video games. And the result, if you've seen Karataka, if you watched the Sprite Castle plays or any YouTube video or played it yourself, uh, you realize that the people are moving like real people. And that's why it's because of this rotoscoping technique. Now, uh, Prince of Persia went on to do this even more with taking uh, footage from films, people sword fighting and rotoscoping that and putting that into the game. Um, there's some interesting footage on YouTube. I will add a link in the show notes, but if you want to go to YouTube and just search for uh, eight millimeter or making of Prince of Persia and making of Karataka, those eight millimeter films, some of them are on YouTube and it shows, you know, comparison between the game footage and Jordan Mechner's actual eight millimeter home, uh, movies. And it's real, it's eerie because you're watching Jordan Mechner, you're watching his karate master run and jump. And then when you see that, you go, that's exactly how it looks in these video games. So it's very interesting uh, the way that he did that. And the results speak for themselves. It's a beautiful, the animation is absolutely fantastic. One unique thing about Karataka is that there is no score. Uh, the goal is, I mean, you're all in. <laughs> it's rescue the princess or die trying. And so there is no score and thus there's also no high score. And there's no high score table or anything like that. It's just Rescue the princess or game over. So that was uh, an interesting choice that not a lot of games did at that time. I wrote down a few trivia facts. Uh, one was the rotoscoping, which I talked about. The other is a trivia Easter egg that is associated with Karataka. It is so common that anybody who talks about Karataka has to mention it. And so if I don't mention it, I feel like everybody will tell me that I forgot to mention it. But uh, in the original version of Karataka, there is an Easter egg. And this is only on the Apple II release. Karataka takes up one full side of a floppy disk. Jordan Mechner thought it would be funny to put a version on the back side of the floppy disk that plays completely upside down. So the joke is you take the disk you boot it normally, you play Karataka. But if you were to insert the disc upside down into the drive, the game also plays upside down. Now, there are uh, rumors of old stories of people calling Broderbund's technical support help desk and saying, my game is playing upside down, and they would have to explain it. Now, that's not on the Commodore 64 version because I had an original uh, Commodore 64 version, and there was a different, I believe it was the, uh, Atari version was on the B side. So it said, you know, side A is the Commodore version, side B is the Atari version. So uh, it does not work on the Commodore 64. It only worked on the original Apple II release. Let's talk about the reviews of Karataka throughout the years. Lemon64 currently has an average score of 7.5. Uh, Computer and Video Game Magazine rated it 9 out of 10. Commodore Horizons rated it 8 out of 10. Commodore User, 4 out of 5. Home Computing Weekly, 5 out of 5. Your Commodore, 8 out of 10. Zap gave it an 80%. So pretty much every review I could find was somewhere between 8 out of 10 to 9 out of 10. Uh, and in a couple of places actually gave it 10 out of 10. So this game was 
very popular when it was released. It was very highly renewed. Has the game aged well? That's debatable. Because, number one, it is a side-scrolling fighting game. And so I think when people think of side-scrolling fighting games, they think of two things. Number one, well, three things, let's say. Number one, they think of multiple characters to choose from. You only play as one person in this game, so you can't choose different characters. So it's not like Mortal Kombat or Street Fighter or any game like that. It's one character. The second thing I think people think about is a variety of moves. And in this game, you can punch or you can kick. And the variety is high, middle, or low. So there's not a lot of choice when it comes to the fighting. And frankly, if you're patient enough, the the fighting is uh, absurdly easy to beat the opponents. The third thing I think people look to when they think about games is that the action is fast, you know, and that it's thrilling. And unfortunately, in Karataka, the action is not fast. It is a slow playing game. I, I already used the term sluggish, but unfortunately, that's the truth. It is a slow moving game. It feels like you're fighting karate people underwater at times, especially when things start scrolling by as you're moving and, and fighting. It just slows down even more. So uh, it, it's really unfortunate and it does take away from the game. Now, I think in 1984, people overlooked it. I think it looked so amazing that the fact that it was slow, you know, people go, oh, it's a little slow, but because it looks so amazing, they didn't care. But I think now people are so used to good graphics that they are going to care about how slow this was. I just mentioned that Karataka was originally released for the Apple II in 1984. That was the original version. This version and the Atari 8-bit version were released the following year in 1985. The year after that, it was released for MS-DOS in 1986. Uh, after that, there were releases for several other different consoles. There is a Game Boy release, which is called Master Karataka. There is a version for the MSX. Uh, there is a infamously bad version of this game for the Atari 7800. It doesn't play well. Uh, it doesn't look good. And apparently there's a bug in it where sometimes the Falcon attacks you and it is invisible. Um, and if, I mean, hitting the Falcon when it is visible is pretty hard. <laughs> hitting it while it's invisible would be really, really hard. Uh, so I don't recommend the 7800 version. And then there was also a version released for uh, the NES, and again, there were some other uh, ports. Now, one port that stands out is the Atari ST, which looks absolutely amazing. I mean, it is uh, super high graphics mode. Uh, you know, the, the players are super detailed. It has so much better graphics, uh, and it plays faster than those older 8-bit versions. About five years ago, someone took the code from that version and ported it to the Amiga. So there is a version on the Amiga. It is a homebrew version. It is a essentially a direct port of the Atari ST version. But those two versions are definitely superior to the 8-bit ones. Uh, you know, at the time... That's what we had. We had 8-bit computers. So it, it stands to reason that a 16-bit version would look better than an 8-bit version. But uh, the Atari ST 
version just looks amazing. And even if you don't want to play that or the Amiga version, you should look those up on YouTube. Now, I will warn you that I saw at least one video on YouTube where someone was playing the Amiga version and they had artificially sped up the emulator so that the game played more quickly. So don't be fooled by that. But uh, my brothers over at the Amigos podcast, I know they did a version where they played Karatika. And if you want to see what the Amiga version looks like, that's a great one to go find and check out. Now, in 2012, the game was re-released. It was reimagined using... I guess I would say polygon-type graphics. It was released for the iPad and the iPhone. It was also appeared on the PS3, Windows, and the Xbox 360. They changed the gameplay a little bit. There are additional characters to play. You get um, different views and and camera movement and things like that. So uh, essentially, it's the same game, but it's a very updated-type version. So if you want to not see the original if you want to you know see what they they kind of reimagined the game in 2012 um i don't know if you could still buy those online if those are still in stores i mean i think they were all digital downloads so i don't know if that's still available but um they're available they've been uh immortalized on youtube if you just want to see what they looked at but what is available is Karanika on ebay but <laughs> Get your wallets ready. Because this is such an iconic game, this is not a cheap game. Uh, There is a complete in-box copy of Karatika for the Commodore 64 for sale right now on eBay. Buy it now, $170. There's also a loose floppy disk. There's a couple of loose floppy disks of Karatika for sale that are at $45 on eBay. This is not a cheap title. Uh, The last copy that I saw that sold that was loose, I found a floppy and manual combo that sold for $50, and I found a complete in-box copy that sold for $102. So if you're not a collector, it's hard to justify those prices when you can download it and play it on, you know, half a dozen different types of emulators and systems. You know, I I was just mentioning, I always mention this, but I have, now I have the C64 sitting here next to me. I have my emulator on the computer behind me. I have my ultimate 64. Now I still have my BMC 64 set up. Uh, I have my mist. I mean, there's a lot of different ways to download and play Karatika. So if you're just wanting to try it out, instead of spending that $102 or $170, you might try it in the emulator first. And now let's get to my personal memories of Karatika. All right, time travelers. The bad thing about doing Sprite Castle plays the day before I do my podcast is that sometimes I share great stories which I in turn share again on the podcast. So this is a story that I mentioned on Sprite Castle Plays. And if you watch that, then you'll hear it again here. But if you didn't watch that, then I will tell you that I got Karatika as a Christmas present in 1984 for the Apple II. So this was the year it came out. I got it from a family friend who included a receipt. Uh, She bought it from the mall. I believe she bought it from uh, either... Babbage's or it wouldn't have been Babbage's actually it might have been software etc but we 
We got Karatika, and uh, I said, we, I got it as a Christmas gift. I opened it Christmas morning, and after all the, the festivities were over and we'd eaten and everybody had kind of finished opening gifts, I went right to the computer and started playing Karatika. And about 20 minutes later, and that might be an exaggeration, but by the second or third time I played it, I beat the game. And my dad came over and I was like, hey, look, this is the last scene. And I showed him, you know, in fact, I, I, if I remember correctly, I got to the end maybe on the second time and got killed by the princess. And then I played it again, the whole thing, and figured out to run into her arms and won it. And so I, I hollered at my dad. I was like, hey, look, I beat the game. And he's like, oh, what game is this? And I said, this is Karateka, the game I got for Christmas. And he said, you beat it? And I was like, yeah, it was, you know, not very hard. And um, tr- trust me when I say this. I can count on one hand the amount of video games I've beaten in my lifetime. I'm not a great player of video games. I'm a great admirer and uh, studier (laughs) and examiner and reviewer, but I'm not a great video game player. Uh, There were lots of people who came over to my home arcade who could beat me at all the arcade cabinets I owned. So I'm not a great player of video games. So for me to beat a game means that it was pretty simple to beat. And my dad got really frustrated. He was like, you know, they spent all this money on this game and you just beat it. And I'm like, yeah, you know, that's that's how it works, I guess. And so the day after Christmas, my dad took me to the mall and we went back to software, etc. And he brought the game with the receipt. Now we had opened it. We had obviously opened this game and played it. And we went to the front counter and my dad said, you know, we want to get something else. He got this for Christmas and already beat it. And it's, that's not hard enough. That's not worth this money. And so they said, okay. <laughs> and they just let us exchange an open game for another game. And that is when I got wizardry for the Apple II. And, uh, I, I suspect that the guy behind the counter was like, you know, oh, well, if you beat this game really quickly, here's a game you won't beat for a long time and may have suggested it. I'm pretty sure I was aware of wizardry, just because of its tie-in, you know, to Dungeons and Dragons. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I think about that today. Like, what if you bought, you know, an album or bought something or bought a game and then you just went into a store and you're like, I don't like this game. I want a different game. Like, I don't think they just let you exchange it like that. Um, but back then, I guess I guess they did. So my memory as a kid, uh, and not just the Apple, but also on the Commodore 64, is that Karateka looks so much better than other karate games at that time. Again, this is 1984 for the Apple, 1985 for the Commodore 64. So if you compare it to things like the home version of Karate Champ or the home version of uh, Kung Fu Master, Karateka just looks so much better than those games. But it wasn't my favorite game because it was so slow and it was sluggish and because it was so easy to beat. I mean, once when you load a game and you go, every time I play this game, I know that I'm going to beat it. How many times are you going to play that game? And so after beating it a few times, I don't think I went back to Karateka. Again, it looked great. If I had a store, I would load it up and show it off as a demo. It looks fantastic. And the Commodore 64 version sounds fantastic. But... It's just not challenging enough to go back and play over and over. Now, one memory that I do have is how cinematic the game felt because of the music. And there are musical cues in this game. I mean, the first one is when the princess 
is sent to the dungeon and there's this almost a weeping sound. It's, it's music. It's not meant to, to be her weeping, but it's this sound like, da-da, da-da, da-da. it's like this defeated little sound where she goes into the dungeon. And then right after that, we get the hero's theme where it goes dun 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 dun, dun you know, and and we show up and like just by hearing that, we know that's the hero. We know that's the guy, you know. And after you win a fight, it's like dun dun dun, dun you know. It's just these little things that uh, you know you would expect in a a cartoon or in a movie, you know, like when the good guy shows up and he's like dun dun dun, I'm here, you know. And it's that kind of stuff that really gives this game that cinematic feeling and you know as a as a kid like on the commoner version i got the opening scroll and when you beat the game you get a closing scroll but it's not like i knew i didn't remember everybody's name i don't know the backstory and all that but even if you don't know all that stuff this game tells a story with no text on the screen like when the guy the karateka climbs over the cliff it doesn't pop up and say this is you you're the hero. It goes, dun, 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 you know, and then, you know, when uh, you beat these guys and they're like, dun, 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 and then they fall over and stuff. It tells this story with graphics and music uh, and the animation. And there's no text. Like, I think you could give this to anybody who spoke any language in the world and that didn't speak any English. And if you play this game, you understand the story. And it's those basic themes of, uh, someone has been kidnapped. Your love has been kidnapped. You've got to rescue them. You're fighting bad guys. Like you get all that from the game. So it's not like those. There were a lot, a lot of early computer games where if you didn't have the instructions, you had no idea what was going on. You didn't know how to play it. You didn't know what things were. You didn't know what the graphics were supposed to represent. You didn't know what to do, what the goals were, on and on. But in Karataka, all that is presented in such a universal theme that you immediately know what to do, you know which way to go, and you know what's happening in the game. So, I mean, that, I would say, is the takeaway memory of Karataka, is that not that it's a just a game, but that it was a story. For graphics, I give this game 4 out of 5 Mount Fujis. It looks absolutely amazing. It could have got a 5 by using the Commodore 64's palette to the best of its ability, but it's still pretty good. For music, I also give it 4 out of 5. There's not a lot of long musical songs that appear throughout the game, but the uh, instrumental parts that appear are very thematic and really add to the overall theme of the game. For sound effects, I'll give the game 3 out of 5. The sound effects are okay. There's a lot of clicks that replace footsteps and, and connecting punches and things like that. So could have been a little bit better, but they're not terrible. Overall gameplay, I give Karataka 4 out of 5. Mount Fuji's. Uh, the fighting is a little slow, but it's fun. It's a thematic experience. Uh, it's a game that you have to play from beginning to end to get the full story, and I think people with a Commodore 64 should definitely try it at least once.
again for tuning in to Sprite Castle. If you'd like to send me feedback about this or any episode of the show, you can email me directly at robohara at robohara.com. Contact me on Twitter at Commodore. Follow the show on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash robcast. Catch me hanging out at the Amigos Retro Gaming Discord server or leave me a voicemail on the Flat Podcast hotline at 405-486-YDKF. If you'd like to support this show and gain access to behind-the-scenes blog posts, videos, and other bonus content, visit patreon.com forward slash Rob O'Hara to learn more. Sprite Castle is available from iTunes, the Sprite Castle RSS feed at podcast.roboherra.com, and through the Amigos podcast feed at anchor.com forward slash Amigos podcast. To hear more podcasts from me, check out You Don't Know Flat, Cactus Flax, Throwback Reviews, and Multiple Sadness. You can find links to all these shows at podcast.robohara.com. Many of the news articles and game details for Sprite Castle come from websites such as Commodore News, Indie Retro News, Vintage is the New Old, the Commodore Scene Database, Lemon64, and Moby Games. Thanks again for listening. Now get back to beating up Falcons, and we'll see you here next time on Sprite Castle. <laughs>